Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Welcome to Coffee with Closers, a podcast produced by Pinkston, a strategic communications firm headquartered just outside Washington, D.C. We talk with some of America's most influential closers, from industry-leading CEOs to best-selling authors, professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. So grab a cup of coffee and sit back as we take you on an informative, thought-provoking, and highly entertaining journey into the lives of highly successful, driven, and forward-thinking disruptors who are making a lasting impact in their field and on society. We are joined today by Christine Cochran, uh, who is the president and CEO of Snack International, a global trade organization representing snack food manufacturers, suppliers, marketers, and other stakeholders. Christine, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you, Steve. It's an honor to be here. Great. Well, let's jump in. We got a lot to get to today. Um, Snack International, formerly the Snack Food Association, is an interesting group. You touch the lives of every American and person around the world. Your your members' products are in every store and kitchen cupboard in America. Um, let's start with just at a high level, tell us who you represent and what is your group's overall mission? Oh, thanks, Steve. That's a wonderful question to get started with. Sure. Um, Snack International is an organization dedicated to creating growth and opportunity for the snacking industry. Yeah. And the way we do that is we bring together over 400 companies around wow. the globe, those that are making all of your favorites, right? Yeah. Whether you live here in the United States or somewhere else, um, those snacks that get you through the day, that provide some comfort, maybe um, helpful nutrition at a moment when you need it, yeah. those are our members. And they come together along with with companies that provide the key inputs for them. So think equipment manufacturing, sure. packaging companies, flavor companies, ingredient suppliers, all of them coming together to create growth and opportunity for the industry. Yeah, that's great. You have spent an entire professional career in food. You became the president of Snack International in February of this year. You spent nine years at the Grain Foods Foundation, eight years at the Commodity Markets Council, and you have a degree in agricultural economics at the University of Missouri. Um, what inspired this journey for you? That's a really, uh, that's, that's a deep question for me. Um, <laughs> as, like with many people, sometimes you find yourself on a career path that sure. you're not really sure how you ended up there. But um, I will say when I was 18 years old at the University of Missouri, yeah. I had a college advisor who said, I think you would really like agricultural economics. He's sure. like, just take one class. He's like, if you take one and you don't like it, I will help you transfer and make sure you don't lose any credits in the process. I love it. Um, I was a scholarship kid. I was a full ride scholarship kid to the University of Missouri. So losing credits was huge for me. Like I could not afford sure. that. And I took my first ag econ class with Professor Dave at the University of Missouri and I fell in love. Right. And from there it just went. Um, and when I went to college in 1994, in 1996, I did a study abroad program in the Czech Republic as they were coming, wow. as they had just broken free. That's cool. Um, and got to see how they went from into private sector development. And so being on farms, watching them transition from, you know, their prior model to a more free market-based um, approach was just 
fed the beast. I then went in 98 into Costa Rica where I actually worked on um, sustainable tropical agriculture. Wow. um, Spending a a semester harvesting bananas and everything. And so like at that point, right, I'm 22 years old. It's now in my blood. I take an internship with the State Department in Nigeria where, you know, you just— walking through the fish markets, going through the milling facilities there, et cetera. Like, it just became really clear to me that food was a place where I both had a lot of interest mm-hmm. and passion, but also felt like I could contribute. Sure. And so that's that's how it began. And so just really slowly, but with one advisor saying, hey, I think you might want to take this course. Yeah. Um, but it did. It brought together all my interests. I love international. I loved international travel as a kid. Um, and then seeing the implications of policy and business. And one of the things I like about trade associations is that's where those two things come and intersect. And at Snack International, I get the international component as well. What have you learned from your travels about food, the industry, how things operate in America versus <clears throat> other parts of the world in terms of your industry and your members? Obviously, you're, you're global in, in scope and reach. Um, but what, what, are, what are some takeaways from that? From that? Um, I think the biggest one is that it's really complicated yeah. in the in the sense that, like, first of all, food is necessary. Yep. And one of the driving – we cannot discount the driving force around food consumption sure. is comfort yeah. and nutrition. Yeah. And um, I say that, though, at a very high level. I think in the United States sometimes we forget about those, right, like mm-hmm. those very fundamental pieces and that these companies are out working to feed a not only large world but a growing world large world, right? Like, so understanding how we can do that in the most efficient way possible is these are real challenges. These are human challenges. And we've, as a humanity, we've built an incredible system of both food production, food manufacturing, and food distribution. Okay. That's great. So snack food manufacturers are continually coming out with new products to enhance taste and meet people's changing nutritional needs. You have said that the biggest challenge that snack producers face today is keeping up with the consumer. How so? What are they demanding? Well, it's totally true. <laughs> keeping up with the consumer is a full-time job for many, many people sure. in this country. Um, and what are they demanding? In 2023, we fully expect to see um, increased interest in what we would characterize as adventurous or exploratory, right? Like, So they're mm-hmm. looking for new flavors. Yep. And um, obviously, some of the trends that you see are kind of the, the spicy, the hot flavors, but also sure. the sweet ones. But what they're looking for now is more nuance, right? Like, yep. So what we see evolving in the trends is the need for, you know, maybe it is spicy coupled with something that's sweet. Sure. Or if it's sweet, what exactly does that look like? It might not just be straight chocolate. It might be fruit with chocolate or, you know, um, something that's more nuanced, more interesting. The other thing that we see people doing is snacking with purpose. Yep. So, again, as always, taste is the primary driver, but looking for opportunities to explore, have adventure, and then have purpose in the snacking. So whether that's a prebiotic, a probiotic, a whole grain, whatever they might be looking for, they're looking um, for purpose in their snacking as well. And I also read that meat snacks, jerky, jumped 21% last year. So protein is, I would assume, a big driver as well. 
Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Jerky is really interesting. So, it, yeah. yeah, it jumped 21% in, I'm sorry, did you say in 20? Um, I saw a 21% jump over last uh, yes. over the last year. And the previous year was a 24%. Wow. So, you know, year over year, seeing tremendous growth yeah. in animal-based protein and jerky being one of the leaders in that sure. category and space. But don't. Don't forget the plant-based proteins as well. We're seeing yeah. a lot of growth there and a lot of interest. And, you know, when we talk about plant-based proteins, we're also including things like collagen. Okay. And when when you say the demands of these consumers, is this things you do in focus groups or or how is that how does that bear itself out for for your for your for your folks? So as an organization, we have a partnership with IRI. Uh, okay. Uh, and that's really where we get most of our information. Got but it. also other publicly available sources as well. Got it. Makes sense. Speaking of challenges, in September you spoke at the 2022 yeah. Ag Outlook Forum in Kansas City, and you raised some very unique supply chain. Uh, challenge issues facing the industry as a result of the war in Ukraine. What's happening? <laughs> well, first of all, Steve, congratulations on doing your homework. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, that particular seminar was um, very special to me being a Missouri as yep. my home state. I was also able to bring my mom to that. So that was uh, Oh, that's right. That's right. You were so I remember you were so excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I was very excited. Yeah. Um, you coming, know, coming home. It was, it was a coming home of sorts. It was a coming home for me. I'm not yeah. sure for everyone in the yeah. audience they felt the same way. But sure. yes, certainly um, a moment of certainly an invitation I wasn't going to turn down. But I I think um, one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, we We've seen some of the trade opportunities open back up with Ukraine, which is incredibly helpful. And yep. one of the things we really stressed in that session was understanding – one of the things people don't understand is the reliance on sunflower oil sure. for the snacking industry, um, both because of, you know, its physical components, right, like um, – high top, you know, high heat point, things like that, but also it's mild flavor. Mm -hmm. So it pairs nicely when you want to put another seasoning on a, on a product. So, you know, it's, um, it was very important and the Ukraine is one of the primary suppliers of sunflower oil, yep. not just to the United States, but to the world. Yeah. That's what, and you also mentioned that, um, if you can't use the sunflower oil, you have to change out your ingredients and then that creates a film and packaging issue, which you said was, Two weeks in good times to get, and now we're at, what, 20 weeks or more? Is that yeah, the last time I was talking with our members, yes, yes, at 20-plus weeks wow. um, to change out the film. And so, as you know, labeling is incredibly important. Yeah. And um, food in, food manufacturers in general are very committed to that level of transparency with their consumers yep. and want to make sure that the consumers know exactly what is in that bag. Yep. And so, yeah, the the making sure that the labeling requirements are you know, met and you have the packaging to provide the um, products to the consumer. It's, it was, it's very difficult challenge. Do you get, I don't exemption, maybe not be the right word, but do you get, does the government understand these challenges and do they give you some leeway with, with, if you need to change course? So what we, what we have um, right now in place is some emergency protections um that are tied back to COVID ah, and the okay. administration, because of what was going on in Ukraine, we talked with the administration and they did extend those for Got our it. industry. So yes, um, we have some legal protections as it, you know, it, that are needed in order for us to conduct our business. But also, you know, I think for the, for the snack manufacturer, what was important is providing the product that the consumer has grown to love yeah. in the way that they've grown to love it. In addition to 
Sunflower, I, I also read that that wheat is a big issue. Um, Russia and Ukraine are major global exporters of wheat. I've read that manufacturers have been turning to ingredients like pea starch because it has the same molecular level compound. Are there shortages that you're facing and other issues? Does that touch your industry or is it mostly the the oil the 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 oil based ingredients that are most impactful? So Obviously, oil is the primary. Like, yeah. you can't talk about supply chain disruptions when it comes to ingredients and not talk about oil. Yeah. However, I would say wheat is definitely an issue. I mean, pretzels are a $1.2 billion industry in the United States, sure. and they're made of wheat. Yeah. So, you know, the, the volatility and the prices definitely impacts manufacturers. Yeah. Let's turn closer to home. Distribution costs are up. Logistic costs are up, stemming largely from the pandemic. As we all know, we have labor and driver shortages. Um, the rail strike uh, threat, which was averted, is really a warning of how tenuous our supply chain is. If Americans didn't know, <laughs> they know now. Um, so how are your members planning for possible future disruptions, whether it be pandemic or war? Have they had to rethink their business model in significant ways that maybe they didn't have to previously? If so, where, where do you where do you see those changes? So um – Again, thank you for asking that question. This was actually an entire panel discussion oh, wow. at our executive leadership forum back in September. So <laughs> I yes. could have, I could have been, I, I could have been, I could have been. Maybe it was a fly on the wall. Yeah, I, I was like, this homework is like next level, Steve. Wow, way to go. Um, what I what I would say about it is yeah. that a hundred percent the companies are focused in on supply chain. Yeah. One of the things I think the unsung heroes in all of this are the supply chain experts at all that work in all of these companies. I mean, yeah. this is their job. They are professionals and they are exerting and they're showing incredible um adaptability and innovation. Yeah. But their job is not easy for all the reasons that you just delineated. Yeah. And so what we see is embracing of technology, um, not necessarily to replace it for example, drivers, but rather to communicate, right? So yeah. you know that if a because the snacking industry relies very heavily on trucking. Right. So like say for example, a driver's delayed because there's construction on the highway, right? Like you yeah. need the technology to communicate that the driver is just stalled yeah. and maybe will be there two hours late. Um, so that the person on the receiving end, right, the retailer, whomever, you know, can plan accordingly and manage those supply yeah. chains. So what we're seeing is investments in that kind of technology, right? So communication and transparency technology, um, and then also just analysis around identifying opportunities for greater efficiency. But yes, there's a very firm both culture and commitment to improving those. I read somewhere before Halloween, I think it might have been Hershey or somebody else talking about there might have been a candy shortage during Halloween. Obviously, these are the realities of life, but manufacturers and companies must just dread giving that kind of news. I mean, does it, or, or do you think that consumers are largely understanding given the choices that they have? I, I do think in general that consumers are pretty understanding yeah. having lived through the last three years yeah. um, as a society. What I would always caution to, and maybe this is just the economist in me, Sure, it's rarely that we have a shortage, yeah. right? It's really about, it's a distribution Distribution, yeah. yeah. And sometimes it comes down to film and things like this. Like, it's not always a driver issue. Like, there can be a number of issues that... Um, can can really result in, say, empty shelves. But the reality in America is, like, we live in a land of plenty. And sure. so um, I think consumers in general have grown to be patient and understanding. And companies, however, know that they can't take that for granted. So yeah. I would say there still remains a very strong commitment to service the customer. Yeah, and it's everything. I mean, there was a shortage of, like, 
hot sauce at one point. I see Australia is dealing with drought, so that's affecting yeah. potato chips. <laughs> um, it goes on. It goes on. You're listening to Coffee with Closers, a podcast produced by Pinkston, a strategic communications firm based just outside Washington, D.C. Whether your organization is looking for traditional public relations, creative content, or business strategy to support brand awareness or protect against reputational risks, our team of highly dedicated, experienced, and successful communications professionals stand at the ready to help you break through the noise in today's ever-changing and competitive news cycle. For more on our services and capabilities, we invite you to visit us at pinkston.co. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Let's turn to the new Congress. We have a Republican House, Democratic Senate. Historically, the food industry has at times, I will say at times, locked heads with government and agencies over some issues. I lived through the menu labeling and and the (laughs) pizza chains and the FDA, and it was was tough. Um, So I know. Um, As we begin the next year, let me ask you, um, are there any legislative pressures, things that your industry – are dealing with on Capitol Hill? And are there any opportunities for bipartisanship in this new Congress? I know you guys work closely with the agencies and, and members. Um, just at a high level, um, where, where, what are your priorities for next year? Well, the, very fair question. And one of the things I would just say is that Snack International advocacy work is one of our pillars. Yep. Um, so we are very committed um, to working both with a legislative and regulatory agendas yeah. um, and across all administrations. And we are a very bipartisan organization. So yeah. um, I remain very optimistic that Good. there is opportunity for bipartisan work to get done in this Congress. Um, we've seen divided chambers before. Yeah. These particularly slim margins, I think, really will force um, members of Congress to start working together. And one area where I have a lot of optimism is around the farm bill, sure. which is up for renewal this year. It is traditionally a bipartisan effort, um, and I think you're going to continue to see that legacy with this particular bill as well. It will be very difficult. One of the things I always like to remind people, um, I know I'm an ag economist, and I went to an ag school, and so when I say farm bill, <laughs> yeah. everyone immediately thinks about the farmer, and I love that. Yeah. Um, but 85% of the farm bill actually goes to nutrition programs. Now, those are related to farmers. Without farmers, we wouldn't have those things. But the farm bill touches every single person in the oh, United yeah. States in one way or another. And I think it's a it's an important piece of legislation that comes up every five years. And I think you'll see a lot of bipartisan um, involvement in moving that through both the House and the Senate. Do you think there'll be some, do you think it'll be a fight in some some areas? Or do you think it's, I mean, this is like the transportation of food here, this bill. This is massive. It, it is massive. And it will <laughs> be the first trillion dollar farm bill. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's huge. Um, yeah. So, Absolutely. It's Congress. Like, by definition, they need to have debates and they need to have disagreements so that we can really see the priorities. But I think what you'll see is a continued commitment to feeding and clothing America. And that's what's essentially the Farm Bill does. Yeah, that's great. Speaking of nutrition, um, I think for years, food industry has always dealt with pushback from nutritionists, medical experts, saturated fat, high sodium levels, all of that. 
we have a chronic disease epidemic in our country, heart disease, diabetes, and like. Your industry has made tremendous strides over the years to give consumers more healthy options, and uh, as especially as we are a on-the-go society, so to speak. It, with that in mind, how has what defines healthy been reimagined, especially in light of the 2020-2025 um, dietary guidelines for Americans? They, you know, obviously they're updating them to meet the current science around um, nutrition and health. Talk to us a little bit about where you see that issue going and where, and how, and where, where the industry has come. Yeah. Um, so nutrition, like you really hit the nail on the head when you, want, when you were talking about like the consumer nutrition. And again, as we said at the very beginning, it's the consumer that's really driving the conversation. And so when you talk about phrases like nutritious and healthy, one of the things that we see is um, the consumer is really taking ownership over what those words mean. Sure. Yes, there will be a role for government and a role, you know, that put it to the side. When they go to the store or they sit down at a restaurant, they're making choices that really fit their lifestyle. And they are thinking about things like health and nutrition for them and whatever that may mean, yeah. right? Like whatever their situation is, but they're also thinking about traditions and customs and sure. flavor and all the other pieces, right? So it's very complicated. I think what you've seen in the snacking industry, and I think the, the jerky piece plays right into this, is this idea of like, we need to provide for the consumer a broad array and right. options of what snacking can look like, right? So whether that is introducing more protein-based snacks or um, additional types of grains, mm -hmm. right? Like so for those who don't like wheat or don't like potatoes, like you see new and interesting innovations in that space as well. But you also see the reinvention of the more classic snacks. And so along with the traditional favorites, so what – what we've really seen is to provide the consumer with the panoply of options that they need to right. make the choices that fit their lifestyle. Yeah. And portion control has been mm. big. I mean, I, you know, gone are the days when you walk into the supermarket and get the whole package of Chips Ahoy. You, you know, it's the four pack now, you know, yes. it's at 7-Eleven. So, yeah. so there's that too. Um, keeping on this theme, um, the FDA <clears throat> has uh, issued its proposed rule updating the definition of the implied nutrient content claim healthy for use in labeling. How has that been received by your members? So we're getting ready to file comments. Um, comments are due, I believe, in mid-February. And so you oh, will see Snack great. International filing comments for this. I think, you <clears throat> know, defining terms like as an industry – we will we will provide feedback and, and guidance as well many other sectors of, of the food space. I do think it's it's a difficult it's a difficult one, right? Yeah. Because like I said before, you know, what is healthy for someone with celiac disease sure. may not necessarily be what's healthy for someone who's fighting um, diabetes. You yeah. know, I mean, and so it, yeah. it gets really difficult really fast. And so I think the FDA is should be. Um, you know, applauded for taking it on, but I think it's gonna it's gonna be a difficult one. And I and just so I'm clear on this uh, on these comments, the um, it sounds like the new addition to all this is the is the sugar limits have been has been a big uh, a big issue here. So um, it'll be interesting. It will be, and I mean, I think sugar <laughs> is a great example. I mean, it's a it's, when you talk to registered dietitians, it's complicated. Yeah. Right. Like so, um, we have on the back of the bat, you know, on the nutrition facts panel, you have added sugars that have been incorporated. Yep. Um, what's unclear, really, like 
people are studying it, is how much consumers really understand what that means. Right. Um, and one of the things I always caution people about is, like, for example, if you look at, like, a high-fiber cereal, a lot of times there's added sugar to that mm-hmm. because fiber is naturally bitter. Yeah. And so, um, as Mary yeah. Poppins always says, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Some, so, like, across a balanced diet, right, like, maybe you have a little bit more sugar with your high brand cereal, but you have sure. less sugar somewhere else. And that's, so those are the, that balancing act is complicated and it's hard to study. So. And then there's the other part of this too, which can't be lost here is that, you know, if I want to go to this, if I'm in the mood for a bag of potato chips or I want Doritos or, you know, whatever, I'm just going to get it. <laughs> yeah. It's an affordable luxury, right? <laughs> you know like, I mean? yeah. like, I'm not, you know, so there's that too. So, so um, you're going to be filing comments on this due in February, and I sounds like from what I hear in your voice here is going to you have some concerns about where that's maybe headed. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. do, but at the same time, like very open to the conversation and the dialogue. Sure. Yeah, know, I think for us, that's the most important part is just the informed dialogue around it because we're all whether it's the FDA or a snack manufacturer, we're all in service of the customer. Let me ask you this: <clears throat> in terms of lawmakers and agencies, what is the one area that you think you wish they would understand more or better? It's a dynamic industry. There's a lot of nuances. Is there anything in particular when you guys go up to the Hill and meet with members and talk to people, like just to understand, like at a very simplistic level, this is what it is? Is there anything that you guys, uh, any issues or two that, that come to mind? Um. Yeah, there there are always a couple of things. Like, I think one of the things um, that I wish people better understood was how important the customer was to the the Mm. snack manufacturer. Like, when we talk about them driving the innovation, they really do. Yeah. Right? Like, whether it's commissioning studies, taking feedback, or just looking at sales and watching where what consumers actually purchase, you know, at the store, on the shelf in the grocery store or in a restaurant, wherever they're picking up their snacks, yeah. right? Like that really, that is highly monitored and the companies are very responsive to that. The other piece too is just to understand um, the the effort and the time that goes into formulation and reformulation, yep. right? Yeah. Like so, for example, right now the industry is working really hard um, to be in compliance with the voluntary sodium reduction targets. Mm-hmm. And that's a massive undertaking for our industry. And, yeah. and not just, you know, both from a reformulation of the product, but also all the things that go along with that, like we talked about earlier, including packaging and labeling and yeah. all of the all of the pieces to that puzzle. Yeah. And the other thing too is when you go into the supermarket, I mean, there's everything today. It's, you know, reduced sodium, <laughs> sea salt, reduced fat. I mean, Customers have a lot of choices that they can choose from, which is good. All right, a couple more questions here. The data clearly shows the snack industry is growing and on the move. Um, I was just looking at some numbers here. (laughs) Pretty amazing. Snacks grew 7%, chips up 3%, dried fruit 15%, toasted nuts 16%, net sales of Doritos, Cheetos, Ruffles, through the roof. Um, As you look to the future, where will growth be focused, and are there areas for growth that are yet unrealized? Well, I think you're going to see in general the snacking category continue to grow yeah. as as a category because of its, its, its nutritious and it's convenient, right? Like so given what moment you're at in the day, yep. there's usually a snack that fits that. Um, I think what you're going – what we've seen as COVID has started to recede is some of the more popular items come back with 
a vengeance in the sales space. So think about bars, right? Yeah. Like there was a period there in 2020 where bar sales really dropped off yeah. because people simply weren't commuting and doing the active things that they were doing before. But those are back. Sure. You know, they're up yeah. nine per- over 9% the last time I checked the numbers. You know, So I think you're going to continue to see a lot of growth there. I think what you're going to also continue to see is packaging innovations. Like you were talking about packaging sizes. And yeah. that's another piece that we're seeing. Like, So for example, in 2021, we saw... Um, a lot of interest in multi-packs because, again, it provides the serving size portion control that people are seeking, but it also provides that, um, whether it's comfort or nutrition, right, like that they're also seeking and pairing those two things together. How big is vending for you guys? I mean, I noticed that, you know, you don't have to go to the supermarket or 7-Eleven anymore. I mean, the, the vending machines are in our gyms. They're in our places of work. They're, you know, people have access to snacks much more readily than they did years ago. Well, that actually is one of the big drivers, right, yeah. around the sales growth is yeah. sales growth is being in the channels where the consumer is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And anecdotally, I have kids who are involved in athletics, and we cannot walk out of the ice rink without stopping at the vending machine. Oh, so, yeah, yeah vending it's, is very important. Huge. And um, I don't know. I remember vending <laughs> machines as a kid, right? Like some of my favorite um, – Foods were in those, right? Yeah. Like, and so, and I see that with my kids too. I also see a lot of innovation in vending, yeah. both in terms of what they can hold, how they dispense, like the payment process, right? Like, yeah. all of these things really help us meet sure. our consumers where they are. Yeah. Um, t- talk to us real briefly. Um, you've got your snacks, snacks. Is it snack? Spo, Snacks Snacks Spo mm-hmm. in in uh, in the Gaylord at the Gaylord Palms in March in Orlando. Uh, talk about some of the new and interesting things you guys got going on at Snack International. I know you've got you, and you were talking about this just before you came on. So I'd love to hear what you've what's new and what's new and fun. Yeah, happy to. So as we said before, Snack International brings together really the full supply chain yeah. of the snacking industry from around the, around the world, yeah. and we will be on full display in um, March nineteenth through the twenty fourth and twenty first in Orlando with our Snacks Bow. And what that means is that you know the the supply chain really shows up right. Like, so it's a place to come where you're working to scale your business, yeah. or you're working looking to replace equipment, or find new ingredients or flavorings. So what you find at Snacks Expo is um, a very practical show in that sense, like it's the supply chain, but also a lot of fun because that's what snacking really is, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. and so we embrace the fun too. So we will have a flavor pavilion where, oh, um, cool. yeah, which is a lot of fun. So the seasoning companies come in and compete for the, you know, flavor of the year awesome. award that we will be giving out. We have industry leaders come in and speak as well. We will provide a variety of education um, through throughout the show. And one of the things this year that we're really emphasizing is our commitment to emerging brands. And so we're pulling together what we call a co-manufacturing pavilion that will allow these startups to um, help scale their businesses very directly. Um, Snack International has a long history of working with emerging brands. Mm -hmm. And one one of the pieces of feedback we've gotten from them over the years is that identifying companies to help them grow their production capabilities is a huge hurdle. So we're looking to solve that for them there. But the other piece, too, for us is culturally. We want to bring in these emerging brands to work with the Fritos and the Campbells of the world, right? Like both to create, like I said, the opportunity for growth um, across the industry because they are doing – some of these startup brands are doing some of the most amazing things, right? And it's really fun to have them there. Um, working with us 
collectively. So we're really excited about that. And we always take it to the next level in the even years. In the even years, Snack hosts Snack Tank, which is actually a competition among emerging brands where the winner takes home a cash prize. So um, you can be looking for that in 2024. And what do you have to do to compete? What's the the premise of the competition? So you have to be an emerging brand. You submit your product. A panel selects. There are semifinalists and then finalists. And the finalists actually go on stage and they do their sales pitch um, to the audience. And it's it's really fun. And when you say emerging brand, are we talking about like just startup type companies that have new and new and interesting products that maybe are not in shelves today? Or where where does what what niche are they are they filling? Yeah, some may be in a few shelves, you know. Um, So think about brands like you might have seen like Kapop. For example, oh, okay. right, or Candide. Um, Got it. They 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 are there, but they're not. Their distribution channels are not across the country, and so. Um, but then we also have. I mean, we've had people come through Snack Tank where they're still working out of their home kitchens, wow. right? And That's so great. it's really fun. It's really fun to, you know, from the beginning to the end. That's great. Well, speaking of fun, I have two more questions. Super Bowl's coming up. Yeah. It's a big day for snack food lovers. I understand Americans eat 112 million pounds of snacks on Super Bowl Sunday, the equivalent of 270 jumbo jets. That's Maybe that's not hard to believe, but who knows? Uh, last year, snack food sales jumped 12.5% to 487 million during Super Bowl week. I'd love to just get your take. I mean, obviously, we're in the throes of inflation. It's come down a bit, and you know, consumers are still struggling, but I get the sense this is not one of those areas. Uh, where, where do you, where do you, I assume this trajectory is only going up. Uh, any, any take on where you, on, on that? Well, what we do know is over the last four years, even with COVID, sales have continued to increase both in terms of pounds as well as dollars. So yeah, yeah. I expect to see a fairly significant dollar inc- increase because of inflation, but yeah. I also expect to see the total volume go up as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, this goes up across the board, right? Yeah. Like, so whether you're a lover of pretzels, potato chips, tortilla chips, you know, whatever oh, it may yeah. be, it's everyone's buying more that weekend. It's great. Yes. All right. Speaking of sports, I have one final question. Oh boy. This is a million dollar question. I don't want to scare you, but, but maybe I will. Um, I understand you went to the World Series a couple of years ago. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> October 25th, 2019, Game 3, Nationals Park. You were there. What happened? Uh, <laughs> tell I mean, us, tell Steve, me, you're, seriously. <laughs> like, you're not getting off. You're not, right, you're not so, getting off. What, yeah, happened, what so. happened at game three of the World Series? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so I'm a huge baseball fan. I thought you were going to ask me about football. I was like, oh, boy, here we go. But no, baseball. No. Baseball, I can talk. Of course. Um, so, yes, baseball fan. I'm sitting there with my husband. Adam Eaton fouls off, you know, hits a ball. It goes foul, and I catch it. That's amazing. It was Amazing. Now, was this when you say you, you did you catch it on one shot? Did it bounce off a seat? <laughs> like, like where? Like, how did it? Was it a like? Just I'd, lo- I'd love oh, to. How did this happen? Yeah, it's a really fun story. So I've been going to World Series games since 1985. Like oh, wow. not every single year, but like yeah, you so, know, I started out when I was about 10 years old going to the World Series. It's the most. If you've never been, you've got to go to a World Series yeah, baseball game. Not, it is. Not. It is the most incredible experience. Okay. However, so. Um, just to give a little bit of perspective, my husband's about 6'3", I'm about 5'6", right? Okay. So the ball comes, and he has his hands up to catch it, yeah. and it hits his hand, and it drops down, and I catch it with my feet. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yes. And all the men around me were like, where's the ball? Where's the ball? You're like, I, I just, got it. I bent down and I picked it up and I like, I, and I just was able to grab it with my feet, which is the strangest experience to catch a baseball with your feet. But what better way? Now, did Adam Eaton ask for that ball back or is that sitting in a trophy case somewhere? Oh, in your it's house? definitely in the trophy okay. case. <laughs> all right. I want to make sure. All right, Christine. Thanks. Um, one last question. Um, we're going to give you the last word today. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to share with our viewers? I think I would just say, I mean, in the spirit of coffee with a closer, I always just want to remind people, just keep snacking. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one of the things we know is like it can make a bad moment good. You know, true, it can provide true. nutrition when you need it. Yep. It's convenience when you need that too. So, you know, just keep snacking. Oh, that's great. Well, to all our listeners out there, thank you for joining us today. Christine Cochran, President and CEO of Snack International. It's been an honor and pleasure to have you to talk about all things that uh, fuel America. Thanks so much. Thank you, Steve. A, B, C. A, always B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. We're the Pinkston team, and this has been Coffee with Closers. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes and follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. Catch us next time. We know you're not busy.